Today's show is brought to you by MParticle. It's the only customer data platform built to address modern data challenges. For most brands today, customer interactions are spread across lots of connected devices, and that makes it tough to create optimal experiences and drive the right marketing outcomes. That's why brands like Spotify, Venmo, and Airbnb use MParticle. It lets them unify customer data into a single customer view. Then they can easily integrate that data into any marketing or analytics platform with no additional engineering time required. The result is more personalized customer experiences on websites and in apps, as well as more relevant ads across all channels and partners. Visit mparticle.com to learn about how mparticle can help your business unify the customer experience and accelerate growth. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as someone who never wants to hear anyone use the phrase cuddle puddle ever again, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcast for more. Today in the red chair is Emily Chang. I'm thrilled that she's here. She's a fantastic journalist. Uh, she's also the author of a brand new book called Brotopia, Breaking Up the Boys Club of Silicon Valley. An excerpt of the book about sex parties in Silicon Valley went viral online when it was published in Vanity Fair. Emily's also executive producer of Bloomberg Technology and an award-winning TV reporter and an excellent interviewer. Emily, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you. It's an honor to be in your presence. So, <laughs> so you have been doing a lot of really fascinating journalism lately all around these issues. You had a great piece. The, the sex party thing did get a lot more attention, but you had a great piece on Uber uh, and behaviors there and, and really strong, some strong work. And uh, you were very coy because at, a, at the Uber Christmas party, you said nothing of any of this that was coming out, but just a little bit about the book. So let's talk a little bit first about your career, and we'll get to Cuddle Puddles soon enough, um, and we'll explain what that is. Looking for, forward to looking it. Looking forward to it. But that's not really the point. I want to talk about the bigger issue about sexism in Silicon Valley and how it manifests itself in the Me Too movement. Um, we can all focus on the sex party part of it, but that's not really the point. Um I think the point is how to change a culture and how to make it better. Um, so first, let's talk about your background. You do an interview show at Bloomberg every day focused on technology. How did you get there? Um, yes, I host Bloomberg Technology. We're a live daily tech show in Studio 1.0, which is a long-form interview show. Um, but, you know, when I was in college, I thought maybe I wanted to be a journalist, and I started interning at the local news stations, and I got— But always television. Always television. One of my first jobs was at uh, the network after college, NBC, and I worked my way up as a local news reporter, and I ended up as a correspondent at CNN in Beijing and London. Mm -hmm. And that's when Bloomberg came to me and asked if I would help launch this tech show in right. And you were Valley. focused on tech at the I time? I wasn't focused on tech. I was covering China. I mean, right. I was going to far-flung provinces because CNN asked me to go. The Olympics were there, yeah. and it was just a great opportunity. Sure, it's for a young person, absolutely. To experience China. Mm -hmm. And um, I went with my now husband, mm -hmm. so it was a wonderful experience for the both of us, and then this opportunity came up in San Francisco, and we jumped on it. Right. I, I didn't know what to expect, mm -hmm. um, but I felt so privileged to be part of this incredible industry that is changing the world mm -hmm. and creating all of these amazing what things. What year was this? this was that like... was 2010. Right, okay. So I'm going on eight years. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm much... <laughs> You're not going to impress me with 2010. <laughs> you said 1992, like myself, I, I would be. If you yes. said 95, I might be impressed. I'm an amateur compared yes. to you. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm teasing. So you, so you, you interview all ranges of people based on the news, or what, so it, it's, it seems to range. Yeah, and you've had some really tough interviews there too. We follow the news. Yeah. I mean, you know, Apple earnings were today. I was just down in Cupertino talking mm -hmm. with Tim Cook. And, you know, we get people like Tim Cook and, and Sheryl mm -hmm. Sandberg and Sachin Adela. But I also try to interview people who I think Those are the know, best interviews. deserve more attention. Right. Uh, uh, the Partovi brothers are coming up mm -hmm. on Studio 1.0. They're the founders of, of Code.org, very much in keeping with what mm -hmm. this book is about and trying right. to get more girls into coding. So, yeah, a range. And, you know, what I like about having the Daily Show and the long-form show is just the opportunity to have those mm -hmm. more in-depth conversations right. like the one we're having now. Right. And so what got you to write this book? So you're doing the television thing, and you, you've you done writing before, right? Correct? Or not? I don't know. Because I think TV is what the way I think of you. Right. TV is my 
bread and butter. Right. And, you know, over the years, as I've gotten more tips, you know, I've pursued the leads that were, were, were really important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Bloomberg Newsroom, we all work together sure. and with such an in- incredible team. And, you know, the, the book, I, I know you talk about these issues in, you know, sort of off uh, the record conversations all the time. And people would always complain about this grave inequality. And then when you got them on camera or on the record, nobody said what they right. what they really thought. Right. And I just found it staggering that such a progressive industry had such grave inequality. I mean, you know, women make up 25% of computing jobs, 18% of computer science bachelor's degrees, 7% of VC investors, women-led companies get 2%, mm-hmm. 2% mm-hmm. of venture funding. Mm-hmm. And I just decided, why right. not? And why also not try Bloomberg, to figure you're out? mostly guys, like, right? <laughs> oh, the interview, I mean, like, it's just, you can't avoid it. And so I'm not blaming yes. you for no, it. No, this is, this is a male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. This is, and the, the reality is, most of the people in power are men, most mm-hmm. of them white men. Right. And so you, so what prompted you to write the book itself? Just that you were watching this topic, because you could write about almost any topic. You could write about any, you know, there's always the cool startup story, you have uh, Uber books and whatever. I, we'll get to that, why the two books about Uber never mention sex, sexism, but okay. Um, we'll see how Mike does. He better mention it. Mike, he better mention it. Or he else, better mention it. Yeah, or else Emily and I are on yes. it. Yes. Um, so what prompted you to write the book? What was the, just, because there's so many topics you could write about. There was a moment, and uh, I was interviewing Mike Moritz for Studio 1.0, and the goal of the interview was to talk about a book he had coming out called Leading, and to talk about the breadth and depth of his career, and this is one of, if not the most prominent venture capitalists in the world, chairman of Sequoia Capital. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Sequoia had no female investing partners in the United States. And I said, what is your responsibility to hire women? Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, we take this very seriously. I think we're blind to gender, race, eth- ethnicity, and, and and we're looking very hard. And I said, mm-hmm. well, are you looking hard enough? Mm-hmm. And he said, we're looking very hard, but what mm-hmm. we're not prepared to do yes. is to lower our standards. Right, which is only used with women and people of color. And just I just thought, right. you know, I, I couldn't believe what I had just heard. And for the I, next three months— That was the famous months, thing you got him to say. That was, that was not shocking. And I shocking. wasn't trying to, to trap him. No, 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 him. no, no, I no. Actually, no trapping well, is what I, he thinks. I, I, I figured it was something he had thought about and, right. and probably had a thoughtful answer right. for. And for the next three months— Everybody wanted to talk about it, and right. people were horrified at what he had said. And some right. people, to be fair, didn't think there was anything wrong with it and right. understand what he may have been trying to say. Right. And I just realized that this has I don't been- know how you could have the same kind of people and think that you were being fair in your selection process ever, that you, were, you had no problem. It's just that you had higher standards. If you judge Sequoia simply on its actions, they mm-hmm. didn't hire a woman for 44 years. Yeah. This is the best venture capital firm. You're right. telling me they can't find or that one you, what, woman? What you're saying is either women are not qualified to do technology or you're not qualified to find them. Like, it's always the thing, like, we've had all this success. I'm like, but what did you miss? Like, that's always my feeling. It's like, how do you know that you didn't miss the woman who was going to create a cure for cancer, for yeah, example? I, look, I, I think they missed a lot. I think this industry has missed out on a right. lot of promising women. Right. And, you know, what I realized in the reaction to that was this has just been festering for too long. Yeah, exactly. And it's about time to figure out how so, we so got So this interview was a big do. deal. I remember that. It was really, I was sort of like, I think I was sent you a note, like, good for you to get him. Because he just said the truth of his truth, which they always try to cover up or try to soft pedal or slow roll. And or, to be fair, he did clarify. And, which was and he, was he, he said, I think there are many women who will flourish in the venture business and we're, and we're trying hard to find them. And they did mm-hmm. hire Jess Lee mm-hmm. uh, of Polyvore. They probably uh, went back I, and were like, let's find the woman. <laughs> A year later. She's fantastic. Right. And, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to other folks there who, you know, say they're really working hard on this and their female founders speak very highly of Sequoia. Right. No, I get that. I think what's interesting, I, look, on one hand, you have to say it is harder because there's fewer because I book code conferences all the time and you've been involved in Bloomberg and it's last year we got a 50-50. I was thrilled. And Congratulations. Year, I'm, so important. I made an, an but and I wasn't like I'm not lowering my standards. I just it's hard to find it's harder and harder to find them. And so this year, same thing. And I'm really but I'm spending an enormous amount of my time trying to. And I may not totally succeed. I may not get to the numbers I want. I mean I definitely don't get there with people of color and I but I do 
like this recent TV thing I'm doing, I'm thinking of it all the time. And I'm not, I want to, what's interesting is I spend a lot of time pushing myself to work harder, to think harder, and and to stop immediately, you know, past the first four, first four companies. Like, what is interesting? Who is qualified? Who would be a good person? And it's hard. It's I'm not saying it's not hard. It's just the excuses are kind of, at certain levels, board of directors, venture capitalists, there's plenty of women and people of color to fill those spots, for sure. I think also one of the most important things is to look at your own data. I think, you know, mm-hmm. some people, oh, you know, I, I interviewed a ton of women, mm-hmm. but okay, let's count them. And how many women mm-hmm. did you interview compared to men? I right. think a lot of people would be surprised if they looked at their right. own numbers. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know no, I've it's, been. I, I think about it all the time. I think it's a question of like making, I was asked I was asked the other day about it and I was like, I think it's a question of making it a priority and putting it from number 14 on your list to number three or number two. Or number of, one. Or number one, whatever. There could, you know, maybe, Revenue is number one always. It should probably stay that way. But it's a really interesting question of, of effort. And I remember that in an interview because I was like, you know, they tried to dial it back, but I was like, that was the truest thing he said in a long time. Like that was, which was interesting that you got him to say it, but he said it. You didn't even have to get him. He, You know what I mean? Like it was suddenly he told the truth, which was interesting. Um, so you had that moment, and then how did you get to this? And why Brotopia? I love the name Brotopia, of course. Well, that happened, you know, two months before I sort of had this idea, and I was talking to friends who've written books over dinner, and they said, and they actually are outside Silicon Valley, and they said, I think that would be a great book. And it just so happens that my editor uh, worked in publishing for a long time, and then she worked at a tech company for two years and left because it was so mm-hmm. horrible mm-hmm. and went back to publishing. And she was looking for years for someone to write mm-hmm. a, a book like this. Mm-hmm. And so we fortuitously connected, and that's when I started. That All right. was two years and ago. And so what was the goal here? I mean, was it just focused on just bro culture? What was it? Because people don't like the word bro, too. Let's talk about that. Like. They like that's not fair, and I'm like, oh, I don't think it's pretty yeah. fair to me. But- I know the title makes a statement, and right. to me, it perfectly encapsulates this idea of Silicon Valley as a modern utopia where anyone can change the world or make mm-hmm. their own rules if they're right. a man. Right. But it's incomparably harder okay. if you're a woman. Right. And you know, I, I didn't really know for sure what it would become, and as mm-hmm. you know, the landscape has changed dramatically since. You know, I started writing this two years ago. And, you know, at first I just wanted to sort of figure out how do we get here, what happened. And I uncovered a lot of really interesting things about, you know, what was going on in the, in the, in the 60s and 70s. And then in the middle of the process, uh, Donald Trump was elected and the Me Too movement mm-hmm. exploded. And I right. saw the momentum of the reporting just completely change because— right. All of these women who I thought would never talk, right. uh, who told me all these stories off the record, right. were some suddenly— It was amazing you got a lot of them. I mean, it's interesting because years I've been trying to get people to talk, and they don't. <laughs> and you sort of give up after a while. Like, you, you know what I mean? You like, do. Like, you there do. was a whole bunch, so many different times. And it's, like, people are like, hey, let's not bother kind of stuff. And then something happened. We're going to talk about that um, uh, when we get back, but one before we finish this section, so you so you took time out, or what, how did you do this? You just were writing it as you were doing reporting. I so wrote like it as I was going, and this was pre Me Too, right? Before pre Me Too, pre Me Too. So you were sort of on this, doing these reporting, and obviously, I saw you talk to a lot of the major figures, like Brianna Wu, uh, was a game developer who got attacked in Gamergate, because some of this was around. Gamergate was sort of there. There obviously was the POW trial before this, which I think was the icon, was the real Huge. setting off point of that. And we'll talk about that in the next section. Talk to Cheryl, talk to Susan, um, Susan Fowler, the Uber uh, engineer who set off the situation at Uber with her memo. Um, where do you think it started? And obviously you talked to Aileen Lee and all kinds of, of I like this, male founder. <laughs> male, at the back, it's Meet the Bros of Brotopia. Um and then you, you go male venture capitalist without a name, and then male founder. Like it's very funny. It makes it, it makes me laugh. There are a lot of men quoted on the record. Yeah, in and the all book, the women. And, and some and of them are women wonderful. on the back are quoted with their names, which is really like what a bunch of whims. Um, so, uh, so no, it's true, right? Like male. <laughs> I'm that made me laugh. I was laughing so hard. Uh, male founder, any male founder, really. Um, so you, uh, so it started up before though. This is this is when I get it because like you're hitting the 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 zeitgeist right at this moment. And we're going to talk about that and more when we get back. Um, but so when you when you started this, you started just reporting about the concept of just in Silicon Valley and just where the, where the numbers are, where the people are, and things like that. 
Before we go, what do you think the one number one problem is? And then we'll talk about that. I think the number one problem is that bad behavior has been tolerated and normalized for such a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you think about Susan Fowler, I mean, mm-hmm. this is a woman who was propositioned for sex by her manager on her first day on the job. Mm-hmm. She reports it immediately and is told by human resources that he's a high performer, so we're just going to let it slide. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the so-called brilliant jerks have just been given a pass for far too long. That's not the only problem, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I think that is one of them. And a lot of business gets done in Silicon Valley outside the office where there's all these gray areas mm-hmm. and lines get crossed. Right. And, you know, it's been a very difficult landscape for, for women to navigate. You know, the other big issue, I think, is we need to change the idea of who can do this job. Right. So many more people can do this job. Right. We need more diverse people right. doing not this just job. Women, I always think about it because everyone gets like, we shouldn't uh, lower standards. We shouldn't those kind of things, those same arguments. And I'm always like, well, your standards weren't pretty high when you hired those six guys who ran the company into a wall, and they give it a pass. And, you know, I think about things like, um, you know, like Amazon and Roy Price is the first outing of the investigation didn't eliminate him. Mm -hmm. The second one after it became public did. What happened in the first one? You know what I mean? It's sort of a pass. I do think there was this inflection point where women started to be believed Mm -hmm. and, you know, Going all the way back to Ellen Powell, you know, a lot of people weren't on her side. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's changed mm-hmm. over the last few years and sort of this realization that we wouldn't be here. People wouldn't be telling these stories if Ellen hadn't told her. Yes, 100%. And, you know, I think the momentum and the willingness to believe women changed. And that also allowed women to be more brave and, and, and tell their stories. I think in Silicon Valley, a big turning point was the Justin Callbeck story published by The Information mm-hmm. and Ninian Wang, one of, of, of the women who spoke up, who worked so hard to get women to speak on the record in order to get that story published. And, mm-hmm. you know, huge hats off to Reed Albergati and, and the entire team there. I can say that Justin Callbeck was someone that I'd heard about for a long time, and I was working so hard to try to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And it was like an open secret, mm-hmm. but no one wanted to talk about yep. it. Yep. And I'd never heard of it. I have to say and, I'd never heard of it. And they sort of set a standard of a kind of reporting that right. that could be done. Right. And if you'll remember that sort of like eight hours of silence after the story was published and no one was saying anything like, right. oh, is this just going to like evaporate into right. the atmosphere? And, you know, then Reed Hoffman spoke up and said, this is not okay. Right, yeah. And then it snowballed, right? Yeah, absolutely. It snowballed. All right, we're here talking with Emily Chang. She's the author of a brand new book called Brotopia, Breaking Up Boys Club in Silicon Valley. I'm not sure if that's possible. We'll talk about that in more. Uh, she's got a lot of attention for an excerpt from Vanity Fair that was about cuddle puddles and sex parties. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and she's also uh, a host on Bloomberg Technologies, executive producer of an interview show she does there that are that is terrific. We'll be back. We'll talk some more. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Bottle Coffee. Nothing compliments a crisp winter morning quite like a cup of coffee. But not just any coffee. I'm talking about the most delicious and most flavorful coffee in the world. Blue Bottle Coffee delivers right to your door. Your Blue Bottle Coffee is roasted and shipped to your home within 48 hours of placing your order so the beans arrive at peak freshness. There's coffee and then there's Blue Bottle. They search far and wide to secure exclusive relationships with independent growers all over the world. And if you don't know what flavor you want to order, no worries. Take Blue Bottle's Coffee Match Quiz to find the perfect coffee just for you. Hurry to bluebottlecoffee.com slash decode for $10 off your first coffee subscription order. That's bluebottlecoffee.com slash decode. It's time to try the most delicious coffee in the world. We have it here in San Francisco because that's where it started, but you can now get it anywhere in the world. So go to bluebottlecoffee.com slash decode. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. That's me. Oh, here again. You got in the room. Every Friday, we answer all of your questions about consumer techs. And this week, we talked about sound needs. (laughs) Sound needs. In the home. Home I like how you redefined the category. Also known as speakers. Speakers. Yes, okay. We talked with Sonos CEO Patrick Spence. Sonos has been around for a while and is one of the leaders in the wireless audio market. Um, But also we talked about the fact that Apple's HomePod is coming out soon. And so we had a lot of questions for Patrick. Patrick, what was your favorite part of this week's podcast? Well, I think it's really about how Sonos is going to take on the big tech giants and continue to lead in the smart speaker. 
space. Oh, I like it. That was a great answer, Patrick. And we talked about Google. We talked about integration and, and where sound is going, essentially. And you didn't take any shots at Rim Blackberry, too. So that was that was fantastic. Oh, <laughs> damn. I think she All got right. one in there in the beginning. <laughs> um, it was a great discussion. I hope you go listen to it with Patrick Spence from Sonos. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here on Recode Decode with one of my favorite reporters in Silicon Valley, Emily Chang. She's the author of a new book called Brotopia, Breaking Up the Boys Club of Silicon Valley, which was very much in the news now, Emily. But let's go back to where it started. Like, first of all, on every level of Silicon Valley, there are there's lack of women, venture capitalists, boards, CEOs. There's a lot of women in the mid-levels, uh, and, but they're often in jobs that, are, that don't count in Silicon Valley, in marketing jobs and I think they count, but they don't, like the engineering jobs. Um, let's go back where you think the—and then we'll talk about current things like Justin Callback and uh, Susan Fowler and things that happened there. But where do you think it started? In the book, I open with an origin yeah. point in a USC computer lab where mm-hmm. a group of engineers were looking for a photo to mm-hmm. test their image processing algorithm. And it just so happened there was a copy of Playboy hanging around in the lab because mm-hmm. one of the students brought it in and was enjoying the magazine. Mm-hmm. And the head researcher said, oh, I bet there's some nice photos in there. Mm-hmm. And they chose the one that was in the centerfold. And that ended up becoming the most popular photo used in imaging processing to this day, mm-hmm. from the teams that are working on the iPhone to Google Images, you show them this picture, they're like, oh, yeah, I know I know her. Some people don't know that she's a naked woman because mm-hmm. the photo that survived is this cropped mm-hmm. uh, headshot, but she's looking suggestively over her bare shoulder. Mm-hmm. And to men, this is sort of an amusing historical footnote, but mm-hmm. to women, mm-hmm. it was alienating. And right. I spoke to a number of, of women who came across her photo over the years, and then they realized she was naked, and right. that didn't feel good. Which is interesting, because early in a lot of this culture, there were a lot of women. At Apple, for example, there were quite a few important women engineers there. At some other places, there were. And, and if you go back even further, mm-hmm. in you know the 40s and 50s, actually, men... To be fair, focused on hardware, but women were well represented among software programmers Mm -hmm. and educated women were actually encouraged to study math. And Mm -hmm. so you have these very uh, influential women, Grace Hopper, who worked Mm -hmm. on the Mark I computer at Harvard, women who were really influential at NASA, Mm -hmm. the women who were portrayed in in Hidden Figures. And then in the 1960s, the industry was exploding and they Mm -hmm. couldn't find enough people to fill open jobs. And so... uh, a company called SDC, a software company at the time, hired these two psychologists, William Can- Cannon and Dallas Perry, mm-hmm. to develop a personality test mm-hmm. to find the best programmers. And what they determined by interviewing about 1,400 programmers, 1,200 of whom were men, is that good programmers don't like people. Mm-hmm. They like things. Yeah, this image of the geek. Better than people. Right. And it perpetuated this idea that the only people who could do this job are antisocial male nerds. Because mm-hmm. if you're looking for antisocial people, the research tells us that that favors men over women. Mm-hmm. And these tests were hugely influential, and they were oh. used by tech mm-hmm. companies for decades. And it perpetuated this idea that, you know, antisocial male nerds are, are good at this job. Uh, and therefore we should encourage. And therefore we should encourage yeah. that. Fast forward to today, same argument that mm-hmm. James Damore, an mm-hmm. engineer at well, Google, we'll get to James, uses. James. Uh, I like to call him young to James. To explain you know, what, he, what he believes is the mm-hmm. root of this inequity. Mm-hmm. And by the way, there's no evidence to suggest that uh, mm-hmm. people who don't like people are better at computers than people who do. Yeah. Or but that it gets men stuck are in better society, than Because that whole nerd mentality, like, here's the nerd. And I, sometimes, you know, when I, I was talking to someone, I'm not going to say who it was, but someone who had some influence in the media, and they were like, well, you know, all those guys didn't have dates at proms. I'm like, that is such bullshit. <laughs> that is like, you're going to excuse their misogynist behavior because they didn't get a date at the prom? Like, that is so reductive and, like, simplistic. And that's, you know, but it did perpetuate this idea of nerds and they're under siege and they had bad, you know, and of course you have, like, a Bill Gates who looks like that. Or, you know, I mean, there's... But then you have a Steve Jobs who doesn't, like, who doesn't manifest that and trait. And what's interesting about Steve Jobs is he was a completely different kind of tech superstar. Right. And the industry could have taken this lesson from that. Mm -hmm. Let's look for people who are different than what we thought. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, they took the wrong lesson and they decided that, you know, risk-taking, bro-y types Mm -hmm. were, you know, the people that they should be 
you know, trying to fund. Right. And so instead of thinking, oh, we should look for uh, uh, people with a wider diversity of backgrounds, which Steve Jobs embodied, mm-hmm. instead it just perpetuated a whole new stereotype. Right. This is, you know, I use, I say this all the time, the meritocracy is a, is a I meritocracy. Love it. I know. Is a meritocracy. You like, coined the word meritocracy. Yeah, yeah, but it's like and they look so at each right. other, but it can happen in any industry like that. This is what a Hollywood producer looks like. This is what a blank looks like. And so we get into that kind of mindset. And often um, it just it just perpetuates, and especially among VCs. I think it starts at VCs myself. I, I think the pipeline argument is part of it. I, there's Name the arguments. Pipeline? Pipeline for sure. Yeah. Le- yeah. Leaky, bucket, Leaky bucket, role model problem, right. all of the above. Right. Girls in math in sixth grade, something happens, or third grade, or whatever grade it is. Well, the stereotype's already entrenched by them. Yeah. And yeah. so the idea of who can do this job. Right. It's like, if a girl is good at math good at or math. programming, people are right. like, oh my God, right. you're so good. Yeah. That's so unusual. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it can actually create this feeling of, oh wait, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Right, right, right. Which it, does, it doesn't just leave out girls. I think that's the, the myth is that it doesn't leave just leave out girls. It leaves out different kind of people. Like different types of people that you're not that and therefore you can't be that. And we need people who are empathetic and mm-hmm. understand people to right. be doing these jobs to right. understand the users that they're creating right. for. Right. To understand Because users the are 50-50, exactly. which is really interesting. It's not like all only nerds use iPhones. So that's, that to me is what's the most interesting part. It also it also creates a sort of crap in, crap out mentality. So starts, you have the pipeline issues, but that's what they tend to point to all the time, why they can't do it. I, I do not believe that is necessarily the and biggest problem. I argue but in the you, book that the tech industry created the pipeline problem mm-hmm. by fostering this sort of narrow idea of who could mm-hmm. do this job. You know, it wasn't movies and TV. It, it was. It, it started with the tech industry, mm-hmm. and then movies and TV and parents and teachers started repeating. Right, repeating. This whole it's idea. the same thing. It's the same thing on so many issues like that. Um, I think it, it's an interesting because when you think of gay rights, it's the same thing. There was a, a version of a gay man or a gay woman who was not like reality, and of course, it perpetuated an idea around it, which was interesting. Um, so, so pipelines one. One is, um, I think, venture capitalists. Like, that they don't fund, like, they just look like themselves. They want to bro out with the others and, and, and do that. Tell me, talk about that. Look, I mean, if you, if you look at the hard numbers, I mean, mm-hmm. women entrepreneurs get, two, women-led companies get 2% mm-hmm. of venture funding. People want to fund companies that they're passionate about. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, often ideas that are catered towards women mm-hmm. suffer. I interviewed Katrina Lake for the book, who mm-hmm. pitched her company to 50 investors before one said yes. And suffered from sexual harassment. And so. suffered from sexual mm-hmm. harassment. And mm-hmm. look, she just took her company public and, yeah. you know, mostly did it on her own. I mean, if that's not an example, mm-hmm. right, exactly. <laughs> what is? So what did she think the problem was? Did she? I think well, when it comes to VCs, she thinks uh, LPs, don't care. You know, she says in the book, LPs are 100% focused on returns. Right. They're not focused on diversity, mm-hmm. and and maybe they should be. She thinks that venture capitalists are looking for ideas that appeal to them, not necessarily ideals that appeal to mm-hmm. everybody. Right. And that bad behavior has been normalized and tolerated for far too long. Right. And we'll get to that about Uber and other companies. I mean, so there's that. And then directors is another thing, I think. That, to oh. me, is the worst. Because I remember when I wrote a, a story. Years ago, I wrote a story called The Men and No Women of Facebook. And I just put their pictures up and made fun of them. Like, I was like, look. like, And Mark, one of them called me. He was like, I'm so hurt. I'm like, well, I just it's your, it's your pictures. It's not mine. And I just was like pointing out the same thing with the board of... of um, uh, Twitter, I gave them a hard time for that for a long time. And then I did a men and no women of face uh, of two point, web 2.0 boards. That to me is the, like, and I got a call from, I remember Andrew Mason, and he was, I think I've talked about this before, that he was like, well, can you help me find women? I'm like, no, do you think I have binders of fucking women? Like, are you crazy? Like, of course, like that one, I know you can find qualified mm-hmm. women and people. I'm pretty certain there's mm-hmm. business people all over the map that you can find very easily. And so it was sort of interesting. And I know there's all these groups that are coming together to try to push people, but it really isn't hard in that level, kind of. That, that to me, is like the lowest hanging fruit of directors. And, and that's where a lot of that happens, I think. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. They have one agree. woman. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Twitter because I had a fascinating conversation with Ev Williams about online harassment and trolling. And he, he said that he thinks if there had been more women on the early 100%. team, online harassment and trolling wouldn't be 
such a problem. No, like because you don't even think of it. Thinking about this, no, it, and again, it, you feel badly for being angry at them for it. But I agree with you. I think that it just wasn't a priority. It's priority number fifty-three. They were thinking about cheerful and wonderful and amazing things that could mm-hmm. be done with Twitter, and right. not how easily someone could use it to hurl death threats. Well, one of the things that I'm I'm absolutely certain of the Me Too stuff, and we'll get to that in the next section, is. Would not have. It's it's not lost on me that women at the New York Times and a gay man broke those stories because they understand that they do. They can feel it. They felt it themselves and other ass. So they are very much more attuned to the problem and much more able to get be empathetic to as reporters, which is interesting. Um, and you know, when you think about it, just I have two sons, and I was literally walking the other day, and I looked behind. I kept looking behind me and looking behind me because I was it was dark and late at night. And my son is six feet tall, and the other one's five five, five seven, or whatever, or whatever. He's tall. They're both tall, and I'm teeny. And my son was like, "What do you do?" And I'm like, um, well, "In case I get attacked." And he's like, "Why do you worry about that?" And I'm like, "You will never worry about mm. that." Like he never. I, I like. I was like, "You don't even understand what it's like to live." I don't know how I can get you to worry about that, which was interesting. And, and I thought it was it was similar to the thing that happened. But go ahead. You're looking over your back in the real world, just as you probably do online. Right. As a woman online, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, women get the most extreme forms of, of online harassment. Yeah. Men get harassed too, but it is just mm, not, not the much. same. Not <laughs> And, you know, I, I completely agree. You know, we shouldn't have to have this fear. It is It is interesting that they you think of something like Twitter, which is really, I just don't think the executives there understood the the impact of it on people's lives if they had it themselves. And, you know, was at the the, the, the VR lab, which I think it's going to be the same thing in VR, um, with Jeremy Valenson, who's great, but he was he has a thing where it's about empathy and you 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 become a black kid and who then becomes a black adult in this in scenario where there's a lot of really um, uh, scenarios that are negative uh, negative scenarios. And what was interesting was like I'm like I like this I like the idea of it, but how can you put a lifetime of living under this? Like because women have a lifetime of microaggressions that they know and they're comf- that, that men don't have. And so that to me was like, can you inject someone while they're watching their VR with the fear that you might have or worry when a police officer shows up or when you're a gay person what you, that you might be beaten? And it was like, I said, I don't think you can. Like that's my issue, like, which is interesting. So let's talk a little bit about in this book. So, so there's the directors, there's those. What role do founders and CEOs play, the management? Oh, I think change has to start from the top. Right. This needs to be something that CEOs explicitly make a priority Mm -hmm. and communicate it to all levels of the organization so Mm -hmm. that everybody at the company also understands Mm -hmm. that it's a priority. And, And... some people are doing this well. In the last chapter, I focus on Slack mm-hmm. and what Stuart Butterfield is doing there. And, you know, every time he tweets about this, they get a spike in inbound interest from diverse candidates. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it really has to come it really has to come from the top and it has to start early. And if you're starting a company today, it's not too early to think about it because mm-hmm. the longer you go on, the harder it will be mm-hmm. to change. And what but what why don't they? Why don't they think it? Because they got other things to worry about, because right? Because other priorities eclipse it. Right. Other priorities eclipse right. it. It's because it's about got, like I'm busy doing this, I'm busy doing that. Exactly. It's about, you know, making money or the next board meeting or the product launch. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I, I I talk about this with Google where Larry and Sergey actually were quite focused on hiring women in the, in the yes. early days, and they got some amazing women yeah, who there. are the standout, you know way more about this than yeah. I do, um, I who are you know standouts in Silicon Valley today, and then they, they lost focus on it, and right. the company was scaling, and they were growing so fast, and they needed to fill the seats, and it was all about you know getting through the financial crisis, and suddenly their numbers are average. Right. They're no better than anybody no, else's. No, they're not very good, yeah. Yeah, they did put a lot of effort in the early days. I remember that. Like it was, it was interesting. They were the first to talk about it that I heard of, um, and I was surprised. I remember being like, "Oh, okay, all right." I hadn't thought about myself. Um, let's talk a little bit in this section. But so, Ellen Powell to me was the first time when it was sort of voiced. I mean, everyone else sort of grumbled about it behind the scenes. Everyone endured these microaggressions, um, but that didn't turn out so well for women and for Ellen, for sure. It didn't for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. I actually think the tide. Has turned and look, right. she she lost the trial. I would say I think this Kleiner, is against Kleiner Perkins. Kleiner Perkins there lost, was a lawsuit around yeah. uh, it was gender discrimination. I would say that Kleiner Perkins that was not sexual harassment. That was gender discrimination. If I'm correct, Kleiner feels they lost 
the trial in the court of public opinion. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I think, you know, now a few years later, I, I think that is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, when Ellen came out with her story, because she was a first, a lot of people didn't believe her. Mm-hmm. And something you know, must be wrong there with were, her. Uh, look, I, you know, and I've done, I know you have as well, a lot mm-hmm. of reporting on this and talked to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And some people, you know, who work there say, well, she wasn't that good. And others said, well, of please, course it's sexist. Like 900 <laughs> crappy bros. Come on, like, please. Um, I, I do think there's an interesting lesson in Kleiner in that uh, I believe John Doerr actually tried to hire women, mm-hmm. and but then didn't do, didn't change the culture didn't to include them. Didn't do what it takes to stay there. That's, exactly. a, that's a new theme I have. It's like, they, I said, you can get women in the door or people come in the door, but then you don't do the things that keep them there or promote them or to think about their different needs and stuff like that, which is, you know, and then they'll fail when they're inside. And then you can say, look, they fail. Right. Like, it's a really interesting problem. And women are quitting tech, you know, twice as fast as men. Mm-hmm. We're, and we're the they're not are. leaving the workplace. They're going to jobs in other fields. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They actually report that the research show, they were they like their jobs. Right. But they don't like the environment. Right. It's right. hostile. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about what that is and, and more from the book that you're talking about. But I want to I want to go from where we went with Alan, which I think a lot of people felt disheartened, like that it that it didn't work out, that the that, that this culture won again. Um, where we we wrote a story, I remember saying we maybe we can't hire as many women because we don't want to be in this culture, you know. And then there was the whole Mike Pensing of it, like right. maybe I can't. I literally that's heard, still happening. Oh, oh my god! Every time I hear that, I people literally, are scared to be alone in a room. With I a literally want to hit the men. I li- I'm like I'm so close to hitting you. I've got to leave because this is like you cannot control. Like, well, I might be taken. I'm like probably not. Like it's just an astonishing reaction. Mm-hmm. That to me is the idea that you need to have other people in the room to make sure that you aren't falsely accused. It's a falsely accused idea. I do I think, think there was this period of time, and I, I know these feelings are still lingering, where you had companies saying and VC firms saying, oh, we don't want to end up like Kleiner Perkins. We'll just never hire a woman. Right. And you had women saying, oh, I don't want to end up like Ellen Powell. I just won't speak up. Right, right. And I think so gradually. Did that set it back? Did Ellen set it back or not? You know, and the Ellen trial, not Ellen I, herself, obviously. I have to say that overall, I think it moved us forward. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. moved us forward, and it started a conversation that people were not having. Mm-hmm. And the net net of it is now women feel safer speaking up. But it was a long process, and I know you, you've spoken to her a lot. Mm-hmm. It was hard for her. Yeah, for sure. Um, and... I don't think you'll hear as many firms saying publicly, oh, we don't want to end up like right. Kleiner Perkins. So it's, it's, oh, we need to do this right now. Right, right. We don't have any We are out of changed. time. They don't seem to have changed <sighs> to me. You know? Like, I think we all get exhausted by it. It's sort of like the Trump administration. They just exhaust us after a while. Um, and then let's fast forward before we get into the next section about uh, today. It was Uber. It was really did change. It was the beginning of the Me Too thing, not for Silicon Valley at least, not, of course, Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the was the issue in a very horrible situation. But here it was Uber, which seemed to be the quintessence of all of it. Susan Fowler lit that match with mm-hmm. her blog post. Mm-hmm. and Why did that? I think because she had all of this documentation. Mm-hmm. She didn't write it in this kind of complainy way. Mm-hmm. You sort of read it and you were like, oh, that sounds pretty assholes. believable right, right. and also ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. the leather jackets, all of it. It was just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you, you can't make this stuff up. Right. And, uh, you know, you had a lot of men saying, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I can't believe this is happening. And all right. the women were like, uh, yeah, is. this is my life. Yeah. I had, I, I write about this in the book, I had 12 women in tech, most of them engineers over at my house for dinner mm-hmm. about three weeks after that posted. And, mm-hmm. you know, they we sort of talked about how it was just so kind of ridiculous that so many people were surprised and then like the other half of the you know the room was completely like yeah this is my this happens every day right and you know these women were they're exhausted they're mm-hmm. like tired of being the only woman in the room they're mm-hmm. tired of all of this emotional labor that they have to do to prove themselves to, uh, someone recently said it was a tax it's, it's a tax it is it is it is a tax and yet they love their jobs they love mm-hmm. the products they're making they're so excited to be working here we gotta, we gotta make this place better for them, and I fully believe that we can. Like, mm-hmm. it's not too late. It didn't have to be this way, but it also doesn't have to be this way. Right. Okay. When we get back, we're talking to Emily Chang. She's the author of a new book called Brotopia: Breaking Up the Boys Club of Silicon Valley. We're talking about how to break that up and sort of what the impact of Me Too had on it. We're going to talk about this excerpt about sex parties. If I have to, I will. Um, and and more when we get back. This episode is brought to you by M Particle, the customer data platform for every screen. 
and I'm here with co-founder and CEO Michael Katz. We know that uh, people are using mobile to research and transact more than ever before, which we've talked about. Um, what's the future of mobile commerce, and how does MParticle help its uh, retailer customers like Overstock, Lily Pulitzer, and Jet.com? So the classic notion of a person moving through the funnel is fundamentally broken. Mm-hmm. People may start researching a company's product on their laptop, subscribe to that brand's email newsletter a few days later, get an email which they open on their phone, download the app and complete the purchase. You know, So right there, just trying to map the customer journey, you need to capture data from four or five systems. So brands need to create uh, consistent and personalized experiences across all these devices and systems. And so it starts with having a data platform that was built to ingest data from anywhere, mm-hmm. create a unified view of the customer, and then in real time, sync that data out to all the various marketing and analytics tools that the company may use in order to create these experiences. So people are doing very different things all the time. Absolutely. Dynamic, as they are using all these devices. For sure. Thank you, Mike Katz of MParticle. Where can we learn more about what you're doing? Go to www.mparticle.com or follow us on Twitter at mparticles with an S. Ah, thank you so much. Thanks. We're here with Emily Chang. She is a Bloomberg celebrity television interviewer. Please. Uh, And she's also the author of a new book, Brotopia, Breaking Up the Boys Club of Silicon Valley. We were talking about Uber just a little bit. Do you think people are looking at Uber as like a one-time thing or more than that? I think it's more than that. Right. I mean, I think it was just... It was sort of like a bad example of what's happening here on mm-hmm. steroids. It had everything, and didn't it? It had everything. And then, you know, there were journalists all over the place mm-hmm. and all of these stories that it never would have been club, told. I mean, think of that strip club story never would have been told. Right, that partying. is a story that happens way more than anyone would like to believe right. that never gets told. Right. And it got told. Right, right. It got caught. Right, right, exactly. And more than that, we did the India rape stuff. The, it just went on and on and on. It was like everything at that company. Why did that company have such bad <laughs> juju? God. I think it came from the top. Mm-hmm. I think you had willfulness to break the law. I think it was, it was you know, created a dysfunctional culture. I give them full credit for for what they built. It's an Mm -hmm. incredible service that a lot of people use and need. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in that case, there was just some glaring, uh, you know, (laughs) leadership issues that affected everyone. Affected everyone and brought me down. And also, I think the enablers who allowed it to go on. I blame them more than anyone. I get the everyone was like cheering benchmark. I'm like, but you built the monster. How did you not stop? You know, don't start to say you hate the monster when you build the monster. Investors have a role to play yeah. here too. Yeah, they certainly. I'm do. glad they did speak up finally, but it's it's sort of took a while. Uh, took a while. Yeah, it took a while, uh, which was interesting. So let's get into this sex part. Like you were, I have heard of sex parties, but not the cuddle puddles. I've heard of just like peop, the people here. They go off, they hire prostitutes, and have a party in Malibu or wherever the hell they're having parties. I don't care about that. I don't, if they want to, look, I don't love it. I don't condone it. Like, I don't care. Like, on some level. I live in San Francisco, so there's a part of me is like, all right, if you want to, that's the way you want to get off. But you were trying to get to something else in that section, and it was much pushback back. Push back on. So, talk a little bit, explain. Cuddle puzzles where they all sit and hug each other, right? Like, yes. Right? Okay. Yeah, I've never been invited you know, officially. Think of a shag carpet. Yeah. And often <laughs> there are drugs. There are drugs involved uh-huh. and people get very intimate and close. And right. I've heard about this a lot. I, I, I've heard it can be a very, you know, sort of egalitarian. And right. I've heard about this personally in their personal lives. Why did you want to write about this? Well, do we care about their personal lives? But anyway, go ahead. In my opinion, these parties are perpetuating a completely lopsided power dynamic mm-hmm. that keeps women down. Because people at work come to them. In, yes. And in Silicon Valley, work lives bleed into personal lives mm-hmm. more than perhaps any other industry. And, you know, it is a gray area. And unfortunately, it's making a lot of women feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. disempowered. Right. You know, Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, has this long tradition of sexual positivity and Be sexual and let, let exploration. Live. And that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, women can't participate in this scene without mm-hmm. being victims of mm-hmm. a double standard. Right. Because there's this whole whisper network around who was there. And right. Was I think that was the most important part of it. Whereas, was- you know, men, you know, this is, it's sort of like the modern day golf course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, you know, can pal around with their buddies and, you know, they don't get penalized or, or discredited because they're there. Right. But women do. Right. And or they can't part- If they participate in it, willingly participate, yes. even if it's willingly, they suffer 
because of the participation. Absolutely. Do you um, – there was a lot of pushback to that. that t- explain – how did you feel about that? You're talking about one specific party, mm-hmm. which was a company-sponsored party. Right, This was right. a company-sponsored party, sponsored by DFJ, mm-hmm. and – DFJ apologized for, right. for the party when they, they when did. they found out what happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, I spoke to a lot of people at this party who felt uncomfortable and there were reports of drugs. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to a young woman who was given drugs and was pulled into one of these cuddle puddles right. and felt pressured into sexual mm-hmm. activity. Mm-hmm. This is at a company-sponsored event. Right. I think I, I, th- I saw you say something about how company-sponsored events should be cuddle puddle th- free. Free, right. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, seems pretty black TMI, and white to I've me, never been in like, a cuddle I can't imagine anyone gray. want me in a cuddle puddle, but that's <laughs> another issue. I like a slap puddle, maybe. Um, but it, it was interesting because there, there's all kinds of push. I was fascinated by the pushback, and I was like, I didn't see it. I'm like, well, maybe you weren't part of that party, or maybe you don't understand. Or a lot of women too was, were pushing back at it, which was that was fat. And I actually ended up in, in an airport with someone who pushed back against you, and we ended up arguing about it. And I was like, do you see the bigger picture here? And I think what it was is like, do we want to become school? Like that was the argument to me. Like, do we want to become school marms? And I was like, okay, you're starting with the word school marm and therefore I'm at my on my back foot with that word. How about we just treat people with respect? And that women, like with golfing or with ski parties, like that happened in Ellen Powell's thing that she couldn't go to the ski party. Um, that you can't participate. If you could participate equally, I guess, but you can't participate equally. That's Absolutely. your whole point. And I've been researching this particular topic mm-hmm. for, for two years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was sitting on this for a while and, mm-hmm. you know, I was just happy to get it get it mm-hmm. off my chest and out into the world. And I've spoken to over three dozen people who've been affected by this. Either they went to these parties mm-hmm. or they felt shut out by these parties, men and women. Right. And who didn't want to do that. Uh, I, I spoke to men who felt that they were changing the world and challenging social mores mm-hmm. by by, oh, by participating it's been in this going scene. On since the 60s, and you boys. know I spoke to women who, you know, a couple women from other countries, they were entrepreneurs and they showed up at these parties. They were completely shocked. Oh, mm-hmm. this is Silicon Valley. I guess right. I have to be cool with this. I right. mean some of this behavior in some circles has become the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spoke to a number of women who felt completely shut out. Like if they, sh- it was damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. If, if they went, they would never get an investment from those people. Mm-hmm. If they didn't go, they would never get an investment from those people. Right. And, you know, I, I, I talked to a, a co-founding team that was broken up essentially mm-hmm. be- because somebody got involved in this and the other person didn't like it. And mm-hmm. the reality is it's a lot more about power than it is about Absolutely. sex. 100%. And the power dynamic mm-hmm. is completely So your point lopsided. is men don't suffer from attending, women do, yes. no matter what they do, even if it's willing, even if it's consensual, no matter how you slice it, it's not good. No matter how you slice it, women lose. Right. And and they, and also it's, you know, the problem is you do mix in every profession. There's a social uh, mix going on, which is interesting because uh, it's hard not to. I've stopped going to a lot of stuff. It's oddly enough, it's interesting because I, I don't see the benefit in it. Yeah, I, I don't socialize as much mm-hmm. in the industry anymore either. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I do think, and I, I think especially when, it, you know, you've got a lot of young people together, right. they don't necessarily know what the boundaries are. I mean, and and this rises to the level of what's happening in a cor- corporate culture. I mean, I talked to a couple of female engineers right. who said at Uber they were invited to strip clubs and bondage clubs. I mean, Susan Fowler confirms right. this, right. like, all the time. They right. were leaving in the middle of the yeah. day to go drinking. Right. And if you didn't go, you're not part of the gang. And so they're like, oh, we're equally inviting you, but do you really want to go there? Like, right. Are they really comfortable there? I mean, I... I went to the Gold Club, which right. is a strip oh club in Soma, and at 11.45 on a Friday, the line, a.m. Mm-hmm. on a Friday, the line is out the door for lunch. It's just a $5 lunch, so mm-hmm. it's pretty cheap by San Francisco standards, and most of the people in there are tech yep. guys. Yep. And they're going with their colleagues. Right. They're yep. going with their boss. Yeah. They're doing deals. Yeah. You talk to the women who work in the club, they're like, uh, yeah, this happens all the time. Yeah, Hello. but so the women can't go. I just go in. I went to a strip club in Vegas during CES because I had to meet someone, and I I cannot tell you how horrified the men were that I was there. I was like, hey, hey. <laughs> and it was all people I knew, and they were like, you're here. And I'm like, yeah, so, yeah. You're but like, and I, I'm live tweeting. I'm live tweeting. No, but what was interesting about it is I had no, like, I, I don't, 
I think strip clubs are awful. I just think they're juvenile and awful and just so diminishing of women. I just, I, I could go on and on about them. They're so, they're so s- stupid on their face of it. Like I, I don't even find, they're not even sexual. They're just like awful. But at the same time, when I was in there, I was like, sort of like, yeah, I'm here. And like, I'm not embarrassed to be here and I don't feel diminished by it. Like I'm just going to, and it was really interesting how nervous people were. They were like, what are you, why are you here? What do you, and you tell my wife, I was like, oh, so it is something you don't, aren't proud of. Like, aren't you proud of being here? Like, you're so fast forward. And it was a really interesting experience because it was during CES and I did run into people and I do have a profile. So, and I wasn't embarrassed and it was, I was fast. I was so fucking with them and it was really enjoyable. And this is a place they're going for lunch in yeah, the middle was, they of were doing the work. work they were, I was like, oh, I wanted to ask you about this. And I was like, so I'm just going to come in here and ask you about it. It was really funny. You know how to find them, Karen. <laughs> I know, but I was you like, I'm not going to let them stop me. Although, interestingly, I had to find a man to take me in because you can't go to a strip club, even in Vegas, without men taking you in because you could The guy in front of the line, it was fascinating. You're like, said, you I look suspicious. <laughs> no, they were like, you could be a divorcee, a wife who's mad at their husband inside. You could be a feminist. I don't know. They had like nine reasons why women couldn't go in alone. It was so I just found a guy. I'm like, take me in now. But I was I wasn't plan. I wasn't didn't want to have a debate with the bouncer about feminism at all. In any case, so let's talk about uh, solutions. Uh, what were you? Tra- you're obviously trying to solve something here. Is you know you're saying how do you break it up? Um, I, I think that's a big goal, um, breaking it up. But what has to happen? Name like six, five things that yeah. you think have to occur. So, you know, stop tolerating and enabling bad behavior. To me, that seems pretty simple. Yeah. To me, the lines are pretty clear. Stop grabbing boobs in the workplace. Yeah. Duh. Boys, stop it. <laughs> Two, expand your idea of who can do this job. Mm-hmm. Three, change needs to start from the top. CEOs need to take this on. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot more prescriptive things in the Mm -hmm. book. You know, one of the things, you know, we talk about with Slack is if you just try to change awareness, that might not really fix the problem. But if you give people actions that they can do, that will be effective. So whether it's diversifying your recruiting captains, you know, being explicit about your priorities, structured review and feedback systems, you know, pay people fairly. The pay gap in Silicon Valley is five times the national average. Right, yeah, that's what? a big deal. To also, easy, right? These companies have a lot of money. Just just pay people fairly. Mm-hmm. And pay people what they're worth. It has such an impact on how valuable you feel. Mm-hmm. I think VCs need to hire women. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty or, obvious. And people of color. I think, and Age absolutely. Diverse. I think LPs need to take a greater role in putting pressure on these funds to, mm-hmm. to hire women and holding... The, the the boards of these companies, as you said with Uber, need to hold company leadership to account when they're, you know, hiring women in their management ranks and, and hiring women on it their boards. It was interesting because during the Uber stuff, which we wrote a lot, a lot of people wrote about, it was, oh, don't be so hard. I remember getting a lot of pressure from board members. Don't be so hard. I'm like, no, I think I will. I'm going to keep doing it. Or you can stop now. Same thing around, like, a lot of the Twitter, Facebook, social media stuff. Karen, that's enough lecturing. I'm like, mm. Not yet, not yet, not until you all stay down and do something <laughs> right. like better. Like and uh, so, uh, the 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 last mm-hmm. like ten pages of book of the book, I interview these six teenage girls mm-hmm. who are part of Girls Who Code. They're coding. They're so excited to be part of the industry, but they're also scared. They hear these stories. They mm-hmm. knew about Travis meditating mm-hmm. in the lactation room. Oh, God, they God. they knew about the they know about the toxic culture. Like mm-hmm. they're getting affected by so they're not what come. they're sensing they're not from the come. industry. There was yeah. one woman who her sister actually worked at Uber and she she had decided she didn't want to go into tech anymore because mm-hmm. it was just too toxic. Or it could be. Right. Or it could or be. There's the it's, image of it's it. It's scary. They feel like they don't belong. So they don't have impact role models. It means we don't have because I think the internet's really changing and they need you need more multifaceted. Oh my people. goodness. I mean AI, mm-hmm. machine learning all of this discrimination is going to get rewritten into these algorithms. Mm -hmm. And if robots are going to be running the world, like, they can't be programmed by men alone. Right. Um, And Yeah, same thing with Bitcoin. That's that's what I think think Alexia Tosis had a really great tweet. It's like, women, get into Bitcoin because our men will have all the money again, like, once again kind of thing. They already do. I mean, it's very young men, like 70% Mm -hmm. young men own Bitcoin. Right, which is really interesting. And then they, of course, what did they have? A strip club party. (laughs) Literally. I was like, really? The Bitcoin like, What bros. is there, like a book? Like, time for the strip club party. Next, we will, like, bother women at work. Uh, it was, like, it was it was a fascinating, like, literally that was the party they had. And then pretend to pop. And then I thought, oh, my God, a decade ago I wrote about 
Yahoo and a strip club thing where they were gyrating on programmers. I remember writing that piece. And of course, Carol Bartz shut it right down. But how did it, how did they imagine that was okay at the time? Because but this it was has 10 been years happening ago. for too long. I mean, no, I know, right, but it was like, 10 years ago. No, it was, right, like nothing's changed. Right. Yeah. Nothing's changed. It's still happening. And yet we're here saying we're changing the world. So do you think this Me Too movement has a real, because Hollywood's obviously, they've created the Me Too movement. They have Time's Up. It's moving here. I, mm-hmm. From what I understand, there's all kinds of activity around. It's ordering. time. We need our own code It's word. time. No, no. I think we have to join the Time's <laughs> Up thing. I think, I think they're organizing a tech version of it. Um, but what can be put into place now going forward? Does there have to be women? You, you interviewed a lot of women. You interviewed Cheryl and others. Um, and obviously you talked to Brianna Wu around Gamergate because that was, to me, the most vicious attacks on women that I've seen in a long Those are scary. Those are actually... They're all awful, but those were particularly vehemently misogynist. Um, when you and then you have James Damore pop up, like it's just and, and you have women who are in positions of power, but do they really have to be the ones to clean it up? No, I think everybody needs right. to work together. Right. But why on this. is that the concept? Because I, you know, I just interviewed Senator Pichai, who's a wonderful guy, by the way, and but he said oh, for my daughters, I'm like. Why? why? Right, what about for my sons? (laughs) Right, exactly. So it was interesting, but even the very best-intentioned men, a lot of them didn't... A lot of people, when when Susan's stuff came out or Ellen's, were like, I had no idea. So where is the leadership from your perspective? Um, I think everybody needs to lead Mm -hmm. on this issue. Everybody needs to take a closer look at how they're running their companies, how they're behaving. And I think... You know, the reality is men right now have the power and the money and they should be the first ones to change. Mm-hmm. And they can do it today. Mm-hmm. They can do it today. You know, I I interviewed, I talk about this in the book, I interviewed Peter Thiel at the Lendit conference. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who's exploring the bounds of space and building ocean communities. And very distressing things about women. you know, right believes in immortality. Mm-hmm. And when I asked him about the lack of women, he said, yeah, you're right. There really just aren't enough. I don't know what to do about it. Uh, what? <laughs> that sounds like Peter Wait, Thiel. what? What? <laughs> Did you say what? I just, you know, I, I, I was shocked. I couldn't believe that this is someone who is clearly incredibly that. intelligent. Just so and you has, know, the next one says, so you're an idiot. Okay, <laughs> is that correct? Is that what you're saying? We were in public. We were in public. Yeah, that's what you say <laughs> in public. That's you shame him. And, Emily, I'm going to have to give you some lessons on that. Well, the, my, the book is putting it all out in the open. Right, right. So hopefully, I hope people read it. Right. Um, you know, but I do think that it's, it's important to understand the problem before we can figure out how to solve it. Right. And every chapter is sort of a lesson in itself about, mm-hmm. you know, what, what can we take away from this time in history or what can we take away from this issue? But I, I do believe that it, this is not a foregone conclusion. This is not a fait accompli. You've got the smartest people in the world here. Mm-hmm. Th- if they can change all these things, yeah. they can change this too. If they, they want can. to. I honestly, some days the will don't has think. to be there. The yeah, I get it, but I think some days they don't care. Like you know what I mean. Like on some level, they. What, what bothers me the most is this is a group of people that talk about changing the world. They talk about like they're better. They talk about them being better than other people. Like I um, honestly, I don't expect it from the Wall Street people and the Hollywood people. I'm not surprised they behave this way. Like I don't think they ever pretended otherwise. And although I hate it, like that's that's different. But these people put themselves out as better. I do think that the hypocrisy of this industry mm-hmm. is one of the worst parts. I mean, there's mm-hmm. this, you know, oh, we're changing. Don't don't be evil. Connect the world. We're better than ever. We're smarter than everyone. Mm-hmm. We know better than you. And yet they have, you know, the worst numbers. I mean, Wall Street has better numbers than they Silicon do. Valley. Everyone has The top numbers. banks are 50-50. Mm-hmm. The top banks are 50-50. Yep. When I started this, do you know how many people said to me, oh, can't be worse than Wall Street. Like, mm-hmm. Actually, you say you can. it is worse Stop than Wall Street. Stop thinking of Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Yeah. That's like the past, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. No, the Wolf of Wall of Street was like in the 80s. There's plenty of sexism in finance, but still. Totally. And, and look, everywhere, not just I have I have three sons. Industry. I have sons too, and mm-hmm. I, their lives will be better in a more equal world. Mm-hmm. And for all the parents out there who want their kids to get into this industry, like their daughters aren't going to have a chance right. unless this place changes 
And you know, it's not just about the people who want to work here. It's about the products that see. I don't think their sons make. are going to have a chance if that's that's the kind of men we're right. building. You know what I mean? It could destroy itself. Right. So you. So are you a positive or negative? How do you come up? I mean, I'm, you, you want to be pros. I want to be positive. All right, so if there's three things you could change to finish up, what would you? If you could just wave a wand, what would you do? <laughs> I know, Mar- make a Marsha Zuckerberg. Oh gosh, I guess. yeah, no, fifty-fifty, fifty-fifty. You know, CEOs on boards of VCs. Oh my goodness, how different the world would be! Mm-hmm. You know, so much bad behavior just goes unchecked because there's no women Not in the enough. room. You know, behaving just the same way you wouldn't like. If you're sitting in the frat house, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one's watching. Mm-hmm. But you know, when there is diversity of of people around the table and diversity of, yeah. of background and thought, like and age, and it's everything. things change. Mm-hmm. Ageism is totally underreported mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. That's mm-hmm. another another big issue. Yeah, I'm holding up the numbers because I'm so old. We can't change the past. Mm-hmm. If I could wave a wand, I would say everybody start thinking about this today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like do something today mm-hmm. that will bring you one step closer, mm-hmm. whatever that is. The most important to me is pay. Which, that is so easy. Mm-hmm. That is pay so is easy. It. Pay people the same. Mm-hmm. Pay people the same. Yep. And when you're in an industry that pays people in equity and like 0.01% can mean millions of dollars, mm-hmm. it's so easy for the pay differential to just get so off. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to, you know... I was talking to someone who used to work at, at Twitter, and, and this person was like, oh, my God, if you looked at the numbers, mm-hmm. it's so bad when you see when mm-hmm. you see like just how differently people are paid, Absolutely. and nobody knows. And it has a lot of societal things, too. I manage people, and I think men are much more aggressive in asking for money. They just are. There's just no way around it, in my experience. But it's also—I've got to—I keep thinking I've got to pay more attention to it. We all have to pay more yeah. attention to it. Like, mm-hmm. men aren't going to do this by themselves. Women right. can't do this by themselves. I right. do think there's, like, an incredible movement of women yeah, helping each other, and done, I love that. It's got to be rethought, because it really does create— Right, it and there's different strategies, society. negotiating or no it negotiating. It plays into societal problems we have overall in terms of women being aggressive and not being— some women, it, it, It's a— the way it's set up creates the situation, and then it creates the inequity, and then it cre- it goes one after the other, which is I think pay is where it has to start. Because once that happens, people value based on pay. They right. Do. And you can afford childcare, mm-hmm. and you can afford you know to you know have a more sort of well-rounded well, life. The second thing, why isn't there equal child? <laughs> oh gosh. We don't will not get into it. Don't get us started. Don't get us started. And we're lucky. And by the way, we're very lucky. We we, have, we make enough money so that we can afford good childcare. Um, but most people don't, and it, it holds people back. And it's off almost always the women that get held back much more so than the men. Absolutely. All right, Emily. On that horrible note, um, you have it's tell not me one horrible. positive it's, thing. It's Give gonna, me one positive. It's going to be okay. I simply think that. So first of all, I, I want to talk about some of the amazing mm-hmm. men that I interviewed who mm-hmm. really, like Max Levchin, who Max told me, I did everything wrong at PayPal. We mm-hmm. hired our friends. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand what I was doing. Yeah, he's super woke. And now I am, you know, I'm talking at the women's conferences. I'm focusing on the culture. Mm-hmm. I don't use words like meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love I love hearing that. Dick, mm-hmm. Dick Costello, you know, after he left Twitter, when he started his new thing, he's like, I'm not hiring another man until mm-hmm. I hire another woman. Yeah. Jack Dorsey. You should Dorsey, have done more about trolls. Dick is a friend of mine. Dick, <laughs> you should have done more about trolls. Well, he says he, he tried. He says he tried, nah, you know, that he wouldn't work. Well, he tells me in the book that he would have done it all differently if he could have yeah. started over. And yeah. so I think that's important, you know, to be willing to admit that you learned yeah. something. Um, you know, uh, uh, Stuart Butterfield... Like there are there yes. are guys out there who right. get it, and we need more of them. I got to say, I don't want to think of men as allies. It's in their interests. It's like they're humans. Yeah. Right? That's the thing. Is sometimes it's like men are allies. I'm like, um, how about it matters? Like for everybody's life on this planet. Like that's the thing that I think we like say thank you so much, and men get much applauded for doing the decent thing, and you shouldn't get applauded for mm-hmm. that. You should just do it because it's the right thing to do or because it's better for your business. I don't care, whatever. It is always better for your business. It's both. Yeah. It's both. Yeah, I was But it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't need to be some goal of social engineering. This is this yep. is good business. I agree. I agree. I was, I'm always arguing that you shouldn't have, at one point I was like, it's good business, but you know what? It's because it's the right thing. Like, for, oh my God, why do I even, have, why is doing the right thing the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. Like kind of thing, which was interesting. I mean, what are you, an oil company? <laughs> anyway, you're not an oil company. <laughs> And then I always finish with, you're so poor, all you have is money, um, which I think is the thing. They're so wealthy. They're so privileged. It creates this sense of entitlement and an increasing yeah. separation between real people. And, 
You, you become divorced from reality. Yep, absolutely. Emily, keep doing this important work. You've done some really great stories. Your Uber story was really strong. Uh, you, you did it the day after. I didn't know it was coming, but I was so pleased to read it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so you. pleased with all the work you're doing. And this book you all should read. It's, she's the author of a brand new book, Emily Chang's Brotopia, Breaking Up the Boys Club of Silicon Valley. You can get it on all the places you get your books. She's also a Bloomberg Technology uh, head of Bloomberg Technology. She runs the show there and does great uh, interviews uh, on on that cable station. Cable is it a cable station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bloomberg right. Television. All right, Bloomberg. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's Channel Five Hundred and Twelve. Uh, no, I watch Bloomberg Television. Um, it's a great organization, and she does great interviews. And she often she does interviews I wish I had done myself, which is I, not very many people I can say that. Thank you. The feeling is mutual. Oh well, thank you. Um, anyway, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes. You can find nearly 200. Eric, do we have 200 interviews? Almost. Wow. Oh, my God. Interviews in whatever app you use to listen to this are on our website. You can have Kara Swisher almost all year. Recode.net slash podcast. If you have a minute, uh, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other Recode Radio podcasts on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Two Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. Tune in then.